Before I get started on today's CSG special, I would like to talk to you about carefree cuisine. Look, we are all stuck inside. Um, this is a fact that no one else can get around. We're stuck inside, social distancing, and we're trying to all survive in this world of that's riddled with uh, a deadly virus. And again, quite frankly, um, we all want convenience, and we all want things that are easy uh, and we don't have to think about, and are healthy at the same time. And uh, there's this place in Denver, very brand new place that's opened up called Carefree Cuisine. It is uh, uh, located in Littleton off of Bowles, and it is dedicated to uh, giving you meals that are free of the top eight allergens, you know, things such as nuts and soy and, and things like that, that are um, like shellfish as well. That things that are like free of those things that get into the food and really cause you some trouble. Who needs that sort of thing right now? when we're worried about a virus, you know, and, uh, they really are dedicated to this in a sterile kitchen to producing these, these kind of frozen meals that are big, substantial, and really will get you through from the freezer to the microwave to the table in a convenient and honestly great tasting manner. They have a vegan uh, entrees, and they also have uh, coming up. I think next week they're going to have protein-based, keto-friendly meals that will, you know, obviously for someone like me who's been on a low-carb diet for three years, will be really, really essential for me to get. And I'm going to definitely take them up on that uh, when they announce that line. It is a great place in Denver, and is really thinking about you. And right now, with they also have, are offering delivery, but on top of that. For CSG and Mortcast listeners exclusively, no one else in Denver or in the country has this deal. If you buy 10 meals, you get them for $99, which is a 25% discount. That is a huge discount. So really, uh, CSG listeners, Mortcast listeners, take them up on this. They are at carefreecuisine.com. You can contact uh, the owner, Pat Guerin, at PG Money on Twitter if you have any questions. Um, if you want to go directly to their Twitter, it's uh, Cuisine Carefree uh, on Twitter. And they are located, like I said, on Bowles and uh, Littleton. They are just, just – it's a great idea. And it's a great idea for you to pick up, get, and go, or they're also offering delivery. Get on this deal, folks. It will be uh, – your family will thank you, and it'll take a load off of your shoulders to not have to think about dinner and having something healthy available for your family. Carefreecuisine.com, right? And contact at PG Money Pat Guerin on Twitter if you have any questions. Big favor? Take him home. Take him home! Just get him the hell out of here! Go home, Jake.
What is up, everybody? Thank you all for joining me on the latest Mortcast, part of the CSG Network. I am, of course, your host, Jeff Morton. Today is a CSG special. We're going to be talking about the movie Chinatown, the brilliant, 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 absolutely brilliant, in the Library of Congress movie, uh, noir, that uh, was a pastiche on what happened in the formation of the city of Los Angeles uh, in the 1930s, featuring uh, Jack Nicholson, Faye Dunaway, um, John Huston, just... Great, directed by uh, Roman Polanski, uh, written by Robert Town, and produced by Robert Evans for the studio Paramount. Um, it is probably the high water mark for many, many people involved in this movie. Uh, really, truly, one of the best movies ever made, and part one of my personally one of my favorite movies. It's a very American movie done by a European. Um, disclaimer, before I continue the rest of this movie, I am very aware of what's going on, you know, who Robert, Roman Polanski is, what a piece of shit he is, and what, uh, how despicable of a human being he is, and I, I absolutely am aware of this. Um, the guy is scum, um, and what he's done, particularly to teenage girls, Obviously, this this is something that uh, will. If anyone's thinking about Roman Polanski and looking at this movie, you're going to obviously be thinking about this. Okay, and when this was done in 1974, none of this had had come out. Uh, all that he was known as at that point was the hus uh, the guy who directed Rosemary's Baby and the husband of Sharon Tate, who was murdered in 1969 by uh, Charles Manson's gang. So. None of this was a factor when this movie was made, and this was actually the last American uh, movie that uh, Polanski made. So, I'm aware of all this, I agree with everyone, we're going to do this movie as it is, as it was at the time, and just the absolute brilliance of this movie is, uh, we're going we're to just kind of focus on that, but fully aware, disclaimer, of what... Uh, piece of human excrement that uh, Polanski is. I'm aware of it, and uh, obviously I agree with every single one of you about this. However, on the, other, on the flip side of this, the gestation of Chinatown was, uh, is, is, was a, a long time coming. It was actually three years. Uh, and it really started as a germ of an idea in the mind of uh, screenwriter Robert Town. And this is... I mean, I, Robert Town became like the preeminent, one of the preeminent screenwriters of the 70s. Um, obviously, with the movies like The Last Detail, Shampoo, uh, this movie, Chinatown, um, he just had, and he was also um, just got uncredited things on other scripts because before he really became came into his own as a scriptwriter, he was uh, known as what's called a script doctor. He was a guy that would come in and fix scripts. Um, uncredited. Uh, he would come in, fix the script, uh, fix scenes, maybe add scenes and all that stuff. It, it happens all the time in Hollywood. Scripts get revised constantly. Uh, and in the 70s, it was... Uh, you know, even though they were breaking through of of the studio system that controlled almost the entire um, era of uh, of cinema up till about the mid sixties, um, still studios would come in and they would just say, "You need help with this." Um, some guy would come in and fix scenes. Directors would change it. No script, as it's originally written, will end up the same on screen. 
Uh, and Town was that guy. And he even wrote um, a scene, a couple scenes in uh, the movie The Godfather, uncredited. Uh, he was called in by his friend Francis Coppola, and he came in and he did that. So obviously uh, he had, was building a reputation, but by the time 1971 rolled around, uh, and in fact uh, he was had, had a very close association with uh, Warren Beatty, uh, which is really how he begot his, you know, reputation. This movie really starts with Robert Town, and it really doesn't go anywhere if he, there isn't a meeting between he and uh, studio head Robert Evans. Now, Robert Evans is one of the may he rest in peace, by the way. One of the um, more interesting characters of the Hollywood uh, era. Um, very much uh, a terrible actor who ended up a studio exec because of the good graces of the uh, uh, owner of Paramount, Charlie Bluedorn. And uh, they, they, I wouldn't even call it instincts, but maybe someone who was put in was a very good-looking guy and kind of a, I don't know, kind of like a, in a Robert Wagner sort of way. And <clears throat> he became the head of Paramount and turned around the studio along with his assistant, uh, Peter Bart, uh, known for just absolutely completely revolutionizing and ruthlessly revolutionizing film in the early 70s and late 60s. Um, he was sitting around his office. Uh, Robert Town comes in, and uh, Evans offered him $125,000, which was a lot of money back in 1971, to write uh, The Great Gatsby. Now, there are many different versions of The Great Gatsby that have uh, kind of been attempted. And the last one was with Robert Redford in the, like, 76, 77. Obviously, that one wasn't good, um, and neither were any of the other attempts at The Great Gatsby. It's hard to translate that particular film, uh, book, to film. It's just, it's very 20s, and it's hard to get the same feel. And Robert Town wanted nothing to do with it. He says, I can't improve on F. Scott Fitzgerald. Fair enough. But he did say, I have an idea for a story. Could you give me $25,000 to develop this thing? Um, most studio execs would not take up an, a writer on this uh, kind of proposal. But Robert Evans was a, if anything, he was a guy who was a slave to knowing people, and he had friends, uh, and he had a, ver a couple of very close friends, and uh, Jack Nicholson and Robert Town were among them. And he said, yeah, go ahead. A couple years later, he comes to Evans and said, this is what I got. It was a really, really, really long script that he had written about the formation of uh, the city of Los Angeles done in a noir style. Uh, it featured a character that he had written specifically, specifically with Jack Nicholson in mind uh, by Jake Giddies. And that became... You know, kind of, uh, it became a, um, a, a, a kind of a way that Robert Town would write. He, he had several characters he would write just for Na Jack Nicholson. Uh, those two had a close relationship. And you notice in movies like The Last Detail and uh, the others that he just, they're just so Jack Nicholson. Well, it's because Robert Town would write these parts with Jack Nicholson in mind. Um, and this, this particular, uh, uh, character, Jake Giddis, uh, was 
basically Jack Nicholson. So this is how you get the germination of this coming in. He gives it to Robert to uh, Robert Evans. Evans reads it, is knocked out by it, thinks it's too long, but he's knocked out by it and is like, yeah, let's do this. Interestingly enough, at this time, uh, Robert Evans was uh, looking to produce his own films. He was the head of the studio at Paramount, which is not the same as being a producer. Um, he's He was involved with getting projects going. Uh, he was very much involved with Rosemary's Baby. He was a very, you know, he just got these movies moving, was the, put people in the right place, uh, got them babied, got them pampered, would make these relationships with people and let, let them go. But he really wanted to be a producer. And he negotiated a deal with uh, Charlie Bluedorn, uh, the studio head, to do basically produce his own films, um, about three pictures. Uh, it was like a, it was, it was a, it was an, it was kind of one of those dip your toe in deals. Little did he know that the success and critical success of this movie would completely destroy his ability to be a studio head at Paramount. Uh, but that is, we'll talk about that at the end of this. The green light happened, 1973. Um, the, it, it was hard to, to envision how this thing would, would come into being other than the fact that Nicholson was going to be attached to it. Uh, eventually, eventually, Evans comes to town and says, uh, well, I'm going to have, hire Roman Polanski for this. And Polanski had not been in the United States since Sharon Tate was murdered. Um, shortly after Rosemary's Baby came out, uh, the Manson clan came to uh, to uh, the hills in Los Angeles, and as we all know, brutally murdered many people. Um, and among them was Polanski's wife, Sharon Tate. Uh, now we can argue about emotional trauma and all that stuff, but there is no doubt that that completely messed up Roman Polanski, and he left. United States and was doing small theater productions and tiny movies in Poland. And uh, Nick uh, Evans wanted him back and he wanted him specifically for this movie because he said, this is an intrinsically American movie that needs a European feel. And uh, it turned out to be probably one of the best decisions he ever made. You know, once again, regardless of how we feel about Roman Polanski, this uh, movie does not end up the way it is without Roman Polanski. It, it just does not. Um, the way he deals with actors, the way he photo, uh, films things, it could not be replicated. And he gets Polanski in. He and Town sit down in a uh, like a, a, a rented Los Angeles house. And over the course of many months revise the script um, and particularly the ending, which is completely down to Roman Polanski. Um, Town wanted a happy ending and Polanski, maybe shaped by the fact that his wife had been murdered, um, wanted a very pessimistic ending. And that's what we got. Uh, I won't spoil the ending for those of you who have not seen it, but it's not uplifting. 
And that's where we get the line, forget it, Jake, it's Chinatown. And and Robert Town has often said he doesn't know what that meant, other than Chinatown was a state of being. Which is an interesting kind of way to to wrap up what this movie was about. To give you a brief synopsis of how the movie came into being, or how the movie kind of uh, evolved, the Los Angeles Water and Power company had uh, had a ton of not company but uh in the government had a ton of power in los angeles because it's a desert and it's a very arid place and control of the water meant control of power and the this whole script is about how there was a a manipulation of local farmers uh diversion of water to dry up land so they could so uh, this uh, power company could buy up the lion for cheap in order to expand their reach and control the water. It is actually extremely, extremely accurate to much of what was actually going on in Los Angeles at the time. Um, the character who was the control of this company was uh, was Noah Cross, who was played by John Houston, which was another brilliant, absolutely brilliant move. Um, John Huston, as we all know, was a was a tremendous director. Obviously, The Maltese Falcon was one of his movies. Um, he is uh, did dabbled in acting, and but wasn't known as an actor. But he dabbled in it, and the addition of him in this movie was absolutely just tremendous. And he played a malevolent evil without being cartoonish. Um, Faye Dunaway played his daughter. Uh, Evelyn Mulray, and she uh, worked meticulously on her on her appearance. Um, Polanski has gone on record of saying that it just it it she was so meticulous about it it interfered with production. She was like slowing sets down, and not uh, because she had to meticulously draw her eyebrows on and get the makeup just right and largely done by herself. Now look, if you if you watch the film, it's it's brilliant. Um it is it is it completely affects the way you look at her character. Um and her ability to um well, not her ability, but her her like point of perspective. And how meticulous she is about her look plays into how you look at her. And it's a great psychological effect that it just you it, it she's so striking that you can't take your eyes off of her, but you know that there's something wrong there. And it's it was such a, a great kind of brilliant move. Jack Nicholson uh really kind of gets an underrated performance in this, and I say underrated. Um he had the uh this movie is less about him than about the circumstances he finds himself in. And so he plays the, essentially, you know, he's the wisecracking detective, but he is the guy that moves the story forward. And as he discovers, so do we. And it is one of those things, it was such a trick with uh, Noir, because you're an, an getting a an investigation unfolding in front of you from the perspective of basically one person, right? And this is the same thing. You get a a guy, a protagonist, 
ostensibly, and he's kind of a protagonist in this, who's moving the story forward just through his own experience. And there are some great shots of him surveilling someone where you see the reversed lens uh, of a camera that he's holding, and it's just, it's a, they're brilliant shots. But that's all from his perspective. And Nicholson had the tough job of just being the guy who moves the picture forward, not in a, you know, it's not like Jack Nicholson as the Joker. This is Jack Nicholson basically playing himself, the wisecracking guy from New Jersey, to, uh, um, you know, move this progressive story forward. Los Angeles Land and Power owned a vast portion of the water rights in Los Angeles in the 30s. Uh, the story starts with Jake Giddis um, basically getting introduced to this woman who claims to be Evan Mulray, Evelyn Mulray, who thinks her husband is having an affair and he is paid to follow. And it is everything that happens after that moment is a series of, of more absurd events that Giddis finds himself in because he stumbled onto a greater conspiracy about the control of power in Los Angeles. And there is no better way you could tell, you could tell the story than to have a hard-boiled detective. Uh, the hard-boiled detective thing usually resulted in sleazy dramas. And there are some sleazy elements of this, but it's more of a shocking secret that I won't go into uh, right now that kind of is the red herring of the story. Um, it is shocking, but it adds, it, 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 it's kind of, it's a, it's, a, it's a shock thing that like plays a part of a character, but doesn't, doesn't really contribute to what the overall story is about the control of water in Los Angeles which is really, really the overarching thing. But there was just a subplot that kind of when everyone remembers about Evan Mul Evelyn Mulray and her relationship with her father, Renoa Cross, um, that you will have to discover. And I hope you watch this movie. Rent it on Amazon Prime for like three bucks. Uh, it's good stuff. So we find ourselves at the completion of this movie. Uh, it was a fraught production at parts because... Polanski tended to be autocratic in the way that he directed, and uh, quite frankly, uh, Faye Dunaway wasn't exactly known for being easy on set, so obviously you had clashes there. Um, Robert Evans was right in the middle of a divorce. Uh, he was getting divorced from uh, Ally McGraw, and was probably perpetually high on cocaine, and it was just a mess, but it got done. And it turned out to be uh, one of may, maybe the it was definitely the creative high point for many people involved, particularly Robert Evans. Evans uh, started his producing career, quote unquote, with his peak. Uh, there's just no he never <laughs> achieved that peak again. Um, but what it did was destroy his ability to be a studio head. Um, a lot of directors and producers complained that uh, Evans would be picking off the best movies for himself, uh, which was always going to be the conflict of interest. 
So Blue Dorn says you can either be a producer or a studio head. You can't be both. Evans knew that he was being phased out, and he eventually just decides to take a what's called a production deal from Paramount and exits Paramount as a studio head and goes on to produce Marathon Man and uh, Black Sunday and... Uh, other other such pictures pictures he was he was okay as a producer um, and his his scurrilous and scandal ridden 1980s uh, is a podcast all by itself uh, but I can get I can actually get into that later I, I know a lot about Robert Evans because I read his book uh, and others so uh, but Jack Nicholson. Uh, I don't say, think necessarily it was his best performance. He was playing himself, essentially. But he was also um, given the toughest job, I think, of his acting career. Um, he had to play himself and be the glue of the picture and not be the center. It was... It was... It's, it's, that is a tough job uh, for any actor. Uh, and especially one of, by that point, the mid-70s, Nicholson's stature. Uh, and he absolutely nailed it. Uh, Faye Dunaway did a fantastic job. Now, that guy said she was striking, absolutely striking to, to look at in this picture. Um, John Huston did a brilliant, I mean, absolutely, that was the biggest, the best stroke of casting this in this movie was John Huston. And uh, he really was, like I said, the the, the bad guy without being the cartoonish evil guy. Um, and, and it was really just brilliant uh, casting. The movie made $29 million domestically, which, for context, in 1974, that probably would have been roughly around $100 million. Um, in today's dollars, uh, it was against a budget of $6 million. It obviously made its money back. It's not a commercial movie, but it did really well. And it has since then become so respected and so revered that it's in the Library of Congress. And I um, honestly, it is completely deserved for this movie. It, it is, it's, a, it's a timepiece done in noir style with a European feel to it. Now, obviously, Polanski, three years later, gets in trouble uh, for... Accused of uh, raping a 13-year-old. He flees the country uh, after he was in custody and uh, has never been back. There have been many attempts to get him back to the United States since then, none of which have been successful. Uh, He has gone on to make Academy Award-winning movies since then. Uh, It's a pathetic, pathetic, pathetic way to... Uh, uh, just, just it's it's the guy is a pathetic human being, and should face justice. Should have faced justice, and it's a tragedy that he never has. Absolute tragedy, and the fact that he has won an Academy Award since then is even more tragic. Um, Robert Evans uh, died last two months ago, um, and. The, the one of the largest characters in uh, the history of seventies, sixties, and seventies cinema, he did was the 
mover and shaker behind a lot of aspects of The Godfather. The man had his hand in a lot of pies. And uh, we also had a colorful life that he destroyed and then brought back to life. It's a very fascinating thing. And I think I will do a, my next CSU special will be about the life of Robert Evans, which is uh, a, a book in itself. Someone needs to do an actual uh, uh, movie uh, about Robert Evans in a way that uh, <laughs> kind of can capture the, the craziness of the man. Uh, it's pretty amazing. Chinatown. Um, noir about power in, in Los Angeles in the 30s. Uh, everyone go out and rent this movie. Uh, go, or buy it. Just see, It's great to own. It's a brilliant, absolutely stunning movie that you will find layers to every time you watch it. It's absolutely, absolutely brilliant. Um, well, thank you all for joining me on the latest CSG special. I, th- I appreciate that. I'm going to try to do more of these. Um, like I said, I may do another one just solely on Robert Evans. I think you guys would uh, probably enjoy that one, too. The man had a, had a crazy, crazy life. So, anyway, thank you all for joining me. I will be talking to you soon. Goodbye. <laughs>